Today we're going to be looking at the book of 2 Kings. So if you want to get your Bibles out and turn there, you go ahead and do so. And uh, my wife and I have just moved uh, into a new house the week before Christmas. And um, we have been living in boxes, or out of boxes, should I say, and they're finally gone. Uh, And one of the things that uh, um, has been my joy, in quotes, to do is put up curtains and uh, take down blinds and putting up the curtains, you know. And uh, I think that that, um, Satan invented curtains. That is, that is the bane of my existence, and I've been working on, on having a great attitude as I have changed out the ones that were there and had to move the brackets down and get everything level, you know, all the stuff that you have to do uh, to put up curtains and make sure they're the right length from the floor and all that kind of thing. But yesterday, there was a breakthrough. My wife told me this last night, she said, from now on, we'll hire somebody to do it. I went, yes, yes, that is the best. So I don't have to worry about that anymore if we ever move again. Oh, my goodness. But the house we moved from had something that um, uh, a lot of houses don't have. I grew up in Oklahoma. Zach, the guy that stands here and pushes the buttons and plays the guitar and all that, he's from Oklahoma. Maybe some of you are from Oklahoma. And when I was growing up, lived in Oklahoma City, and that part of Oklahoma is real flat, And when the springtime came, the tornadoes came. And the tornadoes came, and you could see them in a distance. And you could see them. You know, I remember standing on the porch of our house, and my dad said, Look, over there, there's a tornado. Oklahoma City wasn't near as big back in the 1950s, and so there was a lot of land that was undeveloped, and you could watch them. And a lot of people had cellars. You know what a cellar is? hole in the ground. It's got bricks or concrete or whatever. And you open up the door, you go in and you hide from the tornado. Well, the house that I built that we just moved from, um, I said to my contractor, I want a storm room. He said, well, you've, I've never done one of those before. I said, well, I'm from Oklahoma and I'm tired of hiding under stairs that I know won't really do much good. So I want to, I want to have a safe place to go if a tornado comes. Now, Tennessee doesn't have a lot of tornadoes, but we have some, but not a lot. And so uh, he did. He built a a safe room, a storm room. And here's a picture of it. That's our laundry room. And if you walked in there and you walked in the house, you would never know that that was a place to go for safety. Around that room was six inches of reinforced with, with big rebar on the floor, the sides, and the ceiling of concrete, six inches reinforced concrete. It had a special door on it. The door was made of metal. The door frame was made of metal. Inside that door, there was was some special um, things that held it together. And on the back of the door was a metal sheet that was bolted to the back of the door. And there were locks on the door. You see that uh, uh, one lock there, that place where the deadbolt goes in. Deadbolt's about that long, and they were solid, and they went into three places. And you got in there, and you flipped those deadbolts, and you were safe. Now, we never had to test it out, but it brought a lot of peace of mind to me, the boy from Oklahoma, who knew what tornadoes could do. We were surrounded in that room 
And we knew we would be safe. And we went in there a couple of times, I will tell you. And so, this is what happens to a safe room after a tornado. Everything is gone. The room that wrapped the people, that surrounded the people, is still standing. I don't know about you, but I think that's pretty safe from the storm. Wow. Surrounding protection. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about a prophet named Elisha in 2 Kings. Elisha was the successor to Elijah. Elisha was a, a farmer, and he was out plowing the field one day, and Elisha came by and said, Hey, God's put his hand on you. I want you to follow me. And he immediately left the plow. In fact, he burned the plow and he, and he uh, sacrificed the animals and he had a big feast before he left and he left and he followed Elijah. Now, Elisha and Elijah. Now, why God had those two guys with those similar names, I don't know. It's kind of like me and John Gardner. I'm John Gardner. He's John Gardner. We both worked at Lifeway for 20 plus years. We've both been to this, members of this church since a long, long time ago and people still get us mixed up. So, uh, but Elisha was Elijah's protege. He left everything. His name means God is salvation. And, and this was a man who when um, El Elijah got in the flaming chariot, and he didn't die, God took him to heaven. He asked for, for Elijah's mantle to be put on him, and so his robe was put on him, and he asked for a double portion of his power, and he got it. And here's what happened. He, had a lot, he did a lot of miracles. He cured leprosy. God used him to cure leprosy. God used him to multiply food to feed people. God used him to raise the dead. God used him to remove poison from a stew. God used him to make an axe head float in water. That's an interesting miracle. Some guys are out cutting wood. And Elisha's with them. And, you know, if you hit a tree just right and you, and you break the, the handle, the axe head goes flying off. Well, this one went flying off in the water. And, he, and the, the guy would, had borrowed the axe. And it was a big deal to him. And he said, what am I going to do? And Elisha went over, broke a twig off of a tree, put it in the water, and the axe head floated to the surface. Wow. God was on Elisha. He was known throughout the region. He was the Billy Graham of the day. He was an advisor to kings and a companion to common people. And then during this time, there was an, an army or another nation just north of where Elisha lived. And the king's name of that nation was Ben-Hadad, and he was a ram's king. Now, this guy, he would get his guys together, and they would go and they would raid unprotected villages in Israel and steal and plunder and kill and destroy everything and then go back across the border where they couldn't be touched. And so it's back and forth. Well, God spoke to Elisha, and Elisha would go and say, hey, guess what? Ben-Hadad and his army is going to come, and they're going to hit over here because God told him. And so the king of Israel would have his army ready. Those guys would come. They'd run them off. And Ben-Hadad got really, really angry. And uh, he couldn't figure out what was going on. He would attack again and again and again. This is where we pick up the story in 2 Kings chapter 6. 
starting with verse 11. And the king of Aram became very upset over this, being thwarted because he would come and attack and he would just be driven off. And he called his officers together and demanded, which of you is the traitor who has been informing the king of Israel of my plans? It's not us, my lord, his guy said. One of the officers said, Elisha, the prophet of Israel, tells the king of Israel, even the words that you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. Talk about CIA, FBI, whatever, bugging people. God was, had his ears and listening to the king of Aram. And he would tell Elisha, and Elisha would tell Israel's king, and they would be ready. Wow. Go out and find out where he is, the king commanded. So I can send troops to seize him. This is verse 13. And the report came back. Elisha is in Dothan. Now, it's not Dothan, Alabama. Okay. This is a little small, little city, a little town. It's a place where Joseph, it's in the scripture in Genesis, where Joseph was put in the pit. You remember the story? Joseph's brothers hated him, and they dug a pit. He came to visit them, and they dug a pit. They threw him in. They sold him to slavery in Egypt. Wow. But God was working. God was working. Look at Romans eight twenty-eight. This is what it says. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those that love God. And those are called according to his purpose. Doesn't say that all things are good. He says he causes all things to work for good. Joseph's worst day was part of God's plan to save the nation of Israel. God is always working. He never forsakes you. He never leaves you. He's always working. You can't see it. You don't know it, but he's working. Yesterday, he was working in your life. He's working in your life today. And tomorrow, he will continue to work in your life. Because God knows exactly what we need. Exactly what we need. Verse 14. One night, the king of Aram sent a great army and many chariots of horses to surround the city. Now, he sent all these hundreds and maybe even thousands of guys to get one prophet. You know, and they're surrounding the city. They're surrounding Dothan. Verse 15. The servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside. So here's the servant. He gets up. He goes outside. And this is what happens. There were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. They had surrounded the city. So what does he do? He runs back inside. Oh, sir, speaking to Elisha, what do we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. What are we going to do? He was panicked. He was he, beside himself. He said, they're coming to get us. They are coming to kill us. They're all around us. They're surrounding us. Maybe God was trying to get his attention. I don't know. But I do know that he was afraid. And he saw something insurmountable in front of him. And he said, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? 
And he goes and tells Elisha. It's interesting in verse 16 to hear Elisha's words. This is what he said. Remember, this guy had been outside. He saw with his eyes the the things that were going to happen. And he saw the armies they were surrounding. He runs back inside. He says, we're going to get killed. This is what Elisha said. Don't be afraid. I can imagine. Uh, Excuse me. I said there's an army out there and they're coming to get us. And you say, don't be afraid. There's only two of us and there are hundreds and maybe thousands of them. Excuse me, please help me understand what's going on here. Don't be afraid. Now listen to what he says. For there are more on our side than theirs. Elisha, it's just two of us. How can there be more on our side? I don't see anybody else to help us. Here's the deal. Elisha lived in a calm sense of God's immediate presence. That's what it was. Elisha lived with a calm sense of God's immediate presence. God wasn't out there. God wasn't over here. God wasn't up there. God was with him. He lived in a calm assurance of God's immediate presence. That was the secret of who he was and his power. He had learned to trust God by taking God at his word. He had learned to trust God by trusting God's word. And he had learned to trust God by acting on God's word. He took it. He trusted it. He acted on it. Matthew 6, 8 says this. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. And that's what Elijah knew. Elijah, Elisha, should I say? I get those guys mixed up. That one letter makes all the difference. Elisha was in in God's presence all the time. And he knew that God already knew what was going on. God's always out in front. He is never lagging behind. He is out in front every time. And look what Elisha did because he knew what God asked him, what God Uh, was doing. Verse 17, then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. Now this guy had been up and around for a while. His eyes were open. Open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes. These were not natural eyes. These were spiritual eyes. The Lord opened the young man's spiritual eyes and he looked up And he saw the hillside around Elisha. Now listen to what it says. It was filled with horses and chariots of fire. The angels of God surrounded them. Like the storm room you saw after the storm. It surrounded the inhabitants. The angels of God were surrounding with protection. Elisha and the servant. The angels just didn't show up. They were there all the time. They were surrounding them. 
The young man saw with natural eyes. What did he see? He saw the enemy. He saw the army. He was afraid and he was panicked. But then he saw with spiritual eyes that the forces of God were arrayed and surrounded them with power and protection. God's messengers are always near. We just can't see them. Now, friends, we live in a spiritual atmosphere. We see with natural eyes. We feel with natural hands. We taste with natural taste buds. Everything that we experience is in the natural. But I'm telling you, we live in a spiritual world that you cannot see, but it's this close. It's this close. God's angels and God's presence are all around us. They're always there, watching, helping, keeping. They were created, angels were created by God to serve God first and then to serve you and I. We don't hear much about angels in uh, Baptist churches. For some reason, we kind of shy away from the Holy Spirit and angels. I don't understand why, but that's usually what happens. But I'm here to tell you, angels are real beings created by God for service to God first and then service to us. They are here to minister to us. They come in different forms, but they guard and protect. Psalm 91.11 says, The Lord will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Psalm 91.11. They bring messages from God. Remember the shepherds who showed up? Angels. And they said, don't be afraid. I've got good news with great joy. They carry us to heaven at death. Or you might say they accompany us to heaven at death. Luke 16, Jesus is talking. And he says, telling the story of a rich man and a, and a poor beggar. And the poor beggar dies. And he says, so it is that the beggar died and was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom or to heaven. Carried, accompanied by angels. They minister to us. Hebrews 1.14 says, not all angel, um, not all, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? You know who inherits salvation? Those who know Jesus. And what does God do? He sends his ministering angels to us to help us along the way because he knows life is hard. They come with enough power to conquer anything. Just think about it. Remember the tomb? And it had a big stone rolled about it. And that stone was probably huge. And it weighed a ton. He just goes, eh, moves it over. Supernatural power because they're supernatural beings created by God to serve him first and then to serve you. And they are there. Angels are around us all the time. Psalm 34, 7, the angels of the Lord encamp around those who fear him and he delivers them. Angels surround you. Isn't that comforting? Absolutely it is. The power of God manifests through creatures that he created ministering to you and me. But let me tell you, there's a caution here. God created them to serve him and us. There are hosts of them. When you hear the, word, the, hear the word Lord of hosts, it means the commander of all the angel legions and all the armies in, the, in, in heaven. 
Millions and billions and trillions and myriads of ranks of angels, and they're all organized, and they do have ranks. And God is their commander. They do not act on their own. And here's the thing for you and I. We never, ever worship angels. Never. They are created by the creator as you and I are created by the creator. They worship God. In fact, Scripture tells us that in heaven, around the throne, are angels, and they're flying around, and they're crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They are there to serve God and to praise God and to lift God up. And they are there to serve us so that we can say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's who these creatures are. You ever seen an angel? You probably have. You just didn't know it. Didn't reveal it to you. God didn't let you see it. I have. I don't tell this story very often. Here's my angel story. At the church I was at before we moved to Tennessee, down in Louisiana, I was asked to preach. And so the Lord spoke to my heart and he said, I want you to talk about spiritual warfare. And as I started to prepare the sermon, Early in the week, I think probably a week before the Sunday before, it was like two weeks ahead, and I started preparing, and I had this oppression that came over me, and it was like, oh, you shouldn't do that. Nobody needs to hear that. What you need to preach is something like this, and I had another idea, and I kept working on that story on on, uh, spiritual warfare, and I kept working on that story, but the the sermon on spiritual warfare, and I kept working and working, and I always had had this, this upset feeling. And so I kind of got finished with that one, and I went over here, and I said, I'm going to do this other one, too. And so I did two sermons, and I took, uh, and I didn't know which one to do. And I asked God, God, what do you want me to do? I'm confused. I, I just don't know what to do here. And I prayed about it, and I had both of them, and I, and I had finished both of them. And I said, God, what do I do? What do I do? And so Saturday night, before the Sunday I was going to preach, I was begging God to show me what to do. I did not know. I felt oppressed. I felt um, worried. I was devastated. I could not figure out what to do. I was confused. Got up on Sunday morning thinking, okay, I'll know when I get up on Sunday morning. Nope. I didn't know. Went to church. Drove to church and thinking about it. Just, it was on my mind. I couldn't get it off of my mind. I went in my office before church and I prayed. I said, God, which one? He didn't tell me. Through the song, through the worship service, with the music and all that. Now, this was a church, a Baptist church, where you sit on the platform. You know, remember those Mr. Tommy? You sit on the platform with music guy over here and the preacher guy over here and all that kind of stuff. Okay. So I was up there and I'm just like, oh God, what do I do? I took both of them with me to the platform. I said, which one do I preach, God? Which one do I preach? And I was desperate, wanting to share what God wanted the people to hear. And I walked up to the pulpit after the music, and I still didn't know. And I put them both down on the pulpit, and I said, let's pray. That's just to kind of give me some time, you know? So whenever a preacher walks up and says, okay, would you pray? He's trying to figure out something, believe me. 
And so I put them both on the deal. And I prayed one thing with my words, but in my heart and my mind, I was begging God to show me which one to preach. And I said, amen. And I looked up and for one split second, I saw across the balcony of the church, bronze men standing with shields like this and a long pole or spear. I couldn't make it out. It was so quick. And they were all arrayed in a straight line across the back and they had helmets on and they were just standing there that long. And I knew spiritual warfare. My guardians were there to help and protect me. That's had happened to me. I'm nothing special. I just wanted to do the right thing. And so what I'm saying is we need spiritual eyes to see what God is doing. Spiritual sight is the most important sight we can have. 2 Corinthians 4.18 puts it this way. We look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. Since what is seen is temporary... But what is unseen is eternal. Spiritual sight was lost in the garden. Remember the story Adam and Eve would walk with God? And they would walk in the cool of the evening and they would talk with God and walk with God. I believe they saw some manifestation of God as they were walking and talking with him. And then sin came into the world. And we were blinded, spiritually blinded, which is what Satan wanted to happen all the time so that he could bring confusion to us, so he could tell us untruths and we wouldn't be able to see the truth. That is the, 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 the situation the world is in. They cannot see the truth with natural eyes. We as believers, we have God's word and we can see and know the truth and it's contained right here. The world is blind. We look at everything. It looks at everything with natural sight. And it thinks, the world thinks that they know all they need to know about what's going on. And who's in charge. And what's going to happen. They think they know, but this is partial physical sight. It is not spiritual sight. Spiritual sight comes when we learn to live with a calm sense of God's presence because we know him as our savior. We take God at his word. We trust in God's word as truth. And we act by faith when he says, you need to do this. Because we know the truth, because we can see with spiritual eyes, we trust God and he says, do this, and we act by faith on his word. The servant's spiritual blindness was because he had looked with natural eyes. He was blind to what God was doing all along, sending the angels. They were already there even before God opened his eyes. He didn't know what Elisha knew from experience. And Elisha knew God's steadfast presence. Elisha knew God's steadfast love. Elisha knew God's power. 
And in this particular case, God's power to direct vast armies on his behalf. And they're called angel armies. When we're facing hardships, it's hard to see with spiritual eyes. But their angels are there. The angels are there in loss of a job. The angels are there during a, a devastating illness. The angels are there when a business fails. The angels are there when there's a broken relationship. The angels are there when a wayward child is breaking your heart. The angels are there when death comes. They're there in an election that did or did not go your way. When you are afraid of something that's about to overwhelm you, they're all around. When you're unsure of what to do, as I was in that sermon thing, or when you've been betrayed, the God of hosts, the God of angel armies, will, can and will do the impossible on your behalf, and they're at God's direction to do it. Coming to the end, this past year has been different from any year I have known in my life. We look at COVID and its uncertainty. We look at the unrest in our country. Who would have thought in a million years? With natural sight, it's real easy to be afraid. With natural sight, it's real easy to be bewildered. It's with natural sight, it's easy to grow weary of trying to hang in there. But I want you to remember, spiritual sight comes when we learn to live with the calm sense of God's presence. Taking God at his word. Trusting God. That's hard. Because the world says, no, don't trust God. Trust yourself. Don't trust God's word. That's a book of myths and legends. Trust yourself. Trust the writings of this author or this author or this. Trust culture. I got a word for that. It's called baloney. It's called baloney, you know. And then act. Act by faith. God is always working in the good times and the bad. God is helping us when we don't realize he's helping us. Students, listen to me. When you go to school, when you're hanging out with your friends, God is there and his angels. If you know him as your Savior, his angels are there to help you and protect you. You call on God and he puts them in action. And we need to learn to see life through spiritual sight so that we can live with a calm sense of God's presence. I don't know where you are today in your spirit about all the stuff that's happened that we couldn't imagine even six months ago. But I will tell you this. 
God is surrounding you with his angel armies. He is providing what you need to make it through. Oh, have hope, dear Christian brother and sister. Have hope because the God you serve is serving you with angels. You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if, if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it, it, it doesn't need to go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter. But sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world to sending them the Word of God in real time. Share it. You'd be surprised how far it goes.